Hey, thank you for tuning in once again to QC Uncut. This is Sean Leary, and this is the latest installment in our series of interviews with mayoral candidates for the city of Rock Island. Um, today, my guest is Andy Rowe. Hi. And I'm going to be asking Andy the same questions that I have asked uh, previous uh, people I have talked to as well. Um, the rules are pretty simple. They all get 40 minutes. They're all asked a number of questions that have been submitted by Rock Island residents and Quad Cities residents via social media on my Facebook. And that's about it. I ask them the questions, they talk, and it's completely uncut. There are no sound bites, nothing taken out of context. Everything you hear is completely as it was during the conversation. So we hope you enjoy this trek with us um, and hope that you know you feel more enlightened and educated and um, invigorated by the process as, uh, as we go through it. So with no further ado, Andy Rowe, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Sean. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. And we're going to start off with the first question I've been asking every candidate, which is, it's kind of a multi-part question, and it's a pretty basic question. Why are you running for mayor? Uh, what's your experience that you bring to the table in regard to this? Um, how long have you lived in Rock Island? What's your background in regard to that? And ultimately, why should people vote for you? Thanks, Sean. I, you know, I'll kind of take that one at a time. Um, I've lived in Rock Island since I was a kid. I went to Audubon grade school all the way through high school. Um, went away to college, but then moved back here after college. So I've essentially lived here all my life. Um, running for mayor for Rock Island because I think I have a different voice and a different way of coming at some of the problems that we face versus some of the other candidates that had announced. Um, I kind of decided to run a little later in the process than some of the other guys, so um, I had a little catch-up time, but I think we've caught up and we're hit the ground running and we're ready to go. Uh, from an experience standpoint, um, you know, I've worked on lots of business development and business uh, operations, mostly in the healthcare or IT related fields. Um, got my MBA from going to the evening program through Iowa. And then, uh, so that gave me some kind of business background. My undergraduate degree is in uh, political science and history. So I've always had an interest in that way. Uh, I also served four years for uh, Congressman Phil Harris as economic development director. So I feel like I have a real good handle on how to navigate some of those uh, challenges that come up when you're trying to get funding on the federal and state level. I also have uh, one of my uh, tasks that I had when I worked for Phil was working at the, with the Rock Island Arsenal. So I feel like I have a really good understanding of what happens there and what the opportunities are for us. And then also, you know, what comes with that is what some of the risk, you know, on a federal level if uh, some of those services were to move to other locations. Um, I think that covers it. That was kind of a, a big early question, but I right, think that right. covers a lot of it. I, I think the last the last part, I think you covered all the experience, why you're running, how long you've lived in Rock Island. Why should people vote for you? Uh, I think, like I said, I think I bring something different to the table on kind of a large macro level. Um, what I, you know, when I mentioned that I bring something different than the other candidates, I think one of the things I bring different is that I really, really believe we've got to re-engage the community and the people in the process. Um, some of it was our elected leadership, and some of it was a professional leadership of the city the last five to seven years, um, where 
we just didn't engage the community groups, the people that want to be involved. Um, it was very private. It was very non-transparent or opaque, and I think. Um, you know, on a kind of high-level view, those are the two of my areas that I really want to work on is re-engaging community and community groups and then also um, being just hyper-transparent about everything that we're doing. Yeah, I think when you start listing down, and I'm sure we'll cover this in some of the other questions from Walmart, Zoomers Crossing, and, you know, run down the list of, of, of things that people think could be better, um, so many of those aren't always necessarily that bad decisions were made, although they were in many cases, but that we weren't, um, you know, the, the folks responsible for making those decisions weren't clear on how they arrived there or what they were doing or, you know, why they made those decisions, and I, and I want that to change. It's funny you bring that up because that's the question that everyone asks pretty much, and obviously so because it's an, an item of great interest uh, and great passion to people. Um, oddly enough, not, nobody really asked me about Jumers Crossing, although both of the candidates I've talked to thus far and yourself have also brought it up, and I certainly welcome that. Um, but one of the questions that everyone asked was about Walmart and the Walmart situation. And to uh, kind of put a bunch of questions into one, um, in regard to the Walmart situation, what is your opinion, right or wrong, in regard to what happened? Um, what would you have done differently had you been mayor and you were in that situation? And how will you handle other similar situations like this if you become mayor? The other question, of course, is what do you do now? Uh, you're stuck in the situation where you're going to be saddled with $15 million in debt in regard to this. And you've got this kind of blank canvas, which is good and, and bad, you know. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, I think to start with your first question is, you know, what would I have done differently in, in the situation is, you know, I think you should have communicated much more openly about what our plans were, how we were going to spend that money, and really got a feel from... Um, been very open and honest about what it is that we're trying to do. Does this, does it, and then I think you always need to ask the question, does this fit um, who we are and what we believe in as a community? And I would argue that Walmart does not for Rock Island. Um, I'm not sure that necessarily big box retail is the right fit, especially in that location. Um, I think you run into issues of giving large tax giveaways to companies that even if somebody were to work full time there, you know, maybe doesn't get a living wage, even though our cost of living in Rock Island is extremely low, um, I still think you'd have a hard time taking care of an individual, much less a family, on um, you know what's paid at Walmart. So I think you got to think through those things. And then, then finally, I mean, it's just kind of just basic business governance sort of, um, if you're going to spend that kind of money, make sure you've got some written assurances that you're going to get get right. get something back for it. I mean, that's the most basic of things. Um, well, yeah, I think that, you know, I, I speak for a lot of people, and personally, I didn't have a problem necessarily with them courting Walmart or a big box for that area because that area had been fallow for quite some time and obviously was not making any money or not doing anything. So I don't have a problem with that necessarily, nor do I have a problem with the thinking behind it being Walmart in that particular location because of the demographic 
traffic because of you know people you know in that area there's not there's not much going on in regard to uh, retail particularly big box retail but nevertheless as I've said to other folks who had a say in it and who have been at city officials is um, I, I was completely against the fact that one they spent the money without any written assurance which I thought was just uh, not the smartest thing to do um, to put it kindly and the other thing was is that I felt that they overpaid uh, you look at the appraised values of the properties that were there and they grossly overpaid in some cases for some of them they drastically overpaid in others there wasn't a case where it was like oh well they played around market value no they overpaid for all of them and I, I just really don't understand the thinking behind that it's not as if it's prime real estate down there I mean these were businesses that were dead or certainly on life support at best why are you overpaying for all this real estate and you know I think that's a challenge in any development project I think you end up overpaying you know because um, you couldn't do some and not others you know so you know you you end up doing that and um, some of that is just a cost of development and it's an ugly cost of development and it doesn't make sense but you know at first but kind of when you get into it you know that part I didn't sweat as much um, yeah, I think in the long run, there's a few companies that actually came out stronger out of it and stayed in Rock Island. You know, certainly Hill and Valley is, is an example of that. Oh, yeah, that. You know, so that's a good thing. But, you know, at the same time, um, again, I think it was just a failure of communication, you know, to make help people understand why you make the decisions you make, right? I mean, um, if there's a void there, people fill the void with their own speculations. And, and sometimes the founded and sometimes not but i will say it's the number one thing i mean i knocked on a lot of doors to get signatures right. and 80 percent of them you know what, what are you going to do with walmart you know that was the first question out the door right. out the out the gate you know so, so. um you know i think from a long-term standpoint you're right i mean we've got it now so we've got a developable a developable parcel which we didn't have before um frankly there wasn't going to be any development happening there until you did what was done right um you know when there's a building sitting there people want to have you know they're going to go look at you know greenfield or brownfield that's cleared and ready to go versus a uh, you know parcel with a big building on it already right exactly excuse me um so on you know on that that respect we have a developable parcel i'm not sure you know one big hit is is gonna you know fill the bill there i think we're gonna have some challenges um i think you're gonna have to build a a couple different things that are gonna fill it in and really what i look for i think you open a request for proposal to you know large-scale commercial developers and see what they come back with um I know Mike has has talked about, you know, putting together a panel of people and see what they come up with. I'd rather turn it over to professional developers and say, you know, what do you have? And then where that panel comes in, we'll have community involved. We'll have, um, you know, some labor folks that are used to doing large-scale developments that can give us some areas where we're missing. Uh, Community, obviously, folks who live there, you know, what's going to be in their backyard. And then... um, you know, kind of some business minds that are evaluating these proposals along with our professional staff that can help guide us through some of the uh, you know potential challenges that you face from either a TIF or you know you know whatever we end up doing there so I think that's the way to go with that in the long term and you know fill that in the challenge is that we've got debt that's 
we're having a service now, <laughs> you know, right. starting now on that, that was based on sales tax receipts that were supposed to start this, you know, earlier in 2016. Sure. So, you know, that's a, that's a budget challenge for sure. Um, tied in with that, and this is another question I got from quite a few people, um, is how can you and will you um, re- help revitalize the downtown? Um, as I've mentioned uh, to the other candidates, uh, at least it's my perception certainly, and I know it's the perception of a lot of others, is that Rock Island at one point was at the vanguard of the downtown movement. Certainly back in the 90s when Schwiebert was mayor, um, we saw Rock Island's downtown was really hop, and we were way ahead of the curve in regard to things. Now you've seen a lot of the other quad cities, Davenport, Village Beach, Davenport, Moline, building up their downtowns and in some ways surpassing some of the development in downtown Rock Island. Uh, in some ways, I think in virtually any measurable way, yeah. Well, how do you combat that and how do you turn that around and get us back on track? And there are, and again, I don't want to slight the businesses that are downtown right now. I love Blue Cat, I love Icons, Theo's, all these businesses. I mean, they know they know me. I mean, I go there all the time. Um, but there are also a lot of open businesses. There are a lot of open spots down there that seem to remain open you know and and why isn't there anything down there yeah i mean i 100 percent agree with you that we've fallen behind and you know i really look at it as a lack of focus you know i mean um when you look at at anything that's lacking behind it's usually focus and leadership right so um i think you need to um bring those back bring focus and leadership back i think we've done a really good job of housing down there i think we've got some nice housing options um some of the other business things could follow rooftops but at the same time i think if you look particularly at moline and davenport where we've fallen apart it's our uh, downtown businesses that have fallen apart because i think that that drives some of your daytime uh, activity and then i think we've also fallen apart on uh you know some of the quality of life issues you know they've got the arts and some of the other things that are down there but i think we need to um you know have more options for restaurants and and things besides just bars and there are you know and i don't mean to slight those those are great right you know everybody likes those but they um you know we got to have some variety of things to go to and i think when you look at um both downtown moline and downtown davenport you see a um more comprehensive kind of palette of businesses or options than you do in downtown Rock Island and I think we need to get back to that. How do you do that? That's a good question. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, that's why I ask it, Andy. I only ask the good ones. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't know that there's any magic wand for that. You know, I think you, you, uh, you try to work with people that own the property to make sure that you got develop. you know, it's kind of development one-on-one, right? Yeah. I mean, you make sure you got developable properties You make sure that you've got financing available to help folks that want to get down there. Um, you try to incent businesses that fit into certain uh, categories that you're looking for, and uh, sometimes you get uh, dinged for picking winners and losers. But you know, you kind of have an idea of the portfolio of things that you need to have, and you need to fill those things in. And, and we need to be really uh, strategic, but then we need to be open about how we're doing it, and we need to measure it. You know, right now it's been pretty soft. You know, it's this kind of general ideas. You know, I remember uh, a couple of years ago they did a. Uh, comprehensive plan of what should happen downtown and it was a mess i mean it came back you know and it talked about you know you should have international culture festivals downtown that i agree with that to an extent but if you're going to build your downtown around that that's a tough go you know right so i think you need to find some ways to uh 
do things that fit who you are as a city. You know, and Rock Island culturally is very diverse and very forward thinking, but at the same time, we need to uh, make sure we're matching our uh, our development to who we are and what we're trying to attract. So. Now, that kind of springboards into our next question. Um, as I mentioned, there are a number of great local businesses um, in downtown and, you know, here in College Hill. We're, call, we're at Cool Beans today talking. Um, what do you do to um, help out the smaller locally owned businesses that currently are in Rock Island uh, to help them continue to flourish? Uh, if they're struggling, how do you help them out? Um, if there's somebody who's interested in um, coming to downtown Rock Island or College Hill or to, you know, wherever in Rock Island, how do you help them out? Yeah, I think when you have new businesses or existing businesses that are here that are small, you know, like the Cool Beans and the restaurants downtown and some of the other things, I think you have got to be engaged with them, um, talking to them regularly, understanding what their one, three, five, ten year plans are and how the city can fit in. You know, I don't necessarily think they're going to divulge every piece of what they have. But you should never have happened what happened with, like, for instance, Bituminous, where the day you find out that they need a bigger place and they're leaving is the day they say, we're leaving. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. You know, you should have been able to find that out a year, two years more in advance. Um, I think you've got to be aggressive in your development. I mean, if you look at what happened in... uh, with the Moline versus Rock Island on um, a company called Dividos. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, It's a small company. It's very innovative, very well-funded. I think it's ready to explode as a a business model. And that just walked, walked from Rock Island to Moline. And a lot of that was just a lack of focus and a lack of care from uh, the city of Rock Island versus a really hustling and aggressive city of Moline. Um, what, uh, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you in no, the midst of something? Or were you, no, that, no, I don't think that's good. Um, what uh, kind of businesses are you trying to draw to Rock Island, and how do you think best to do that? I know, uh, you know, you need a combination. Uh, you, local businesses are fantastic, um, and ideally we have all locally owned businesses, but I know that, you know, you got to have your franchises sometimes too, and your big boxes and things of that nature to get a good mix in regard to the tax base and the needs of the residents. Um you look at the fallow spaces. You've got that 11th Street, as we mentioned. You've got the old Kmart. You've got, uh, you know, a lot of empty spots in downtown. Uh, Rock Island Industrial Park. You know, I think you look around, you look at the old uh, kind of industrial sector on uh, First Street and Mill Street, kind of out that way. Um, you know, I think it's going to depend on the area, and I think we've got the opportunity then to do it at, you know, any number of types of business depending on where you're looking um, you know I think we've got some opportunity on the west end and out in the industrial park for transportation and logistics the FedEx facility that opened is just one example of that but it's a large uh, it's a growing business segment and it fits with what we do regionally uh, business wise as well you know we're at the crossroads of you know lots of interstate traffic train traffic you know you've got an international airport we have a lot of options there to grow um, 
move goods and services, and that's what we do, you know, right? Um, I think we've got manufacturing opportunities. I think we've got, uh, you know, downtown is perfect for some professional type of organizations. We have some cool spaces down there that are underused. Um, one of the opportunities that I think we miss out on completely regionally is uh, opportunities with defense and defense contractors. Uh, every contract that's written by the U.S. Army is written on the Rock Island Arsenal, and it's literally a stone's throw, you know, from downtown. Um, um, how do we be creative to get some of those folks to spend some time here? Do we provide some shared space that they can use? Because maybe they don't want to have a full-time office, but maybe they can have some time here. Um, but have some staff, have some people that are here. Um, a lot of development's usually based around trying to encourage sales tax receipts because that's money that comes right in, and I agree with that to, to a degree. But I don't think you turn your nose up at um, you know good professional uh, opportunity and jobs and development for people um, even if it doesn't necessarily generate immediate sales tax you know there's secondary and tertiary opportunities to get sales tax from those folks so yeah um, in the interest of fairness you brought something up but I, I want to pursue this I, ha- I did not ask the other candidates that I've talked to this question because they didn't bring this topic up and so it didn't pop into my head and that was the arsenal you talk about um, and you're right there is a lot of traffic there at the arsenal there are a lot of people working there um, and that brings to mind how do you work with um, Neil Anderson with Sherry Bustos um, the state representative and um, the national representative from our area um, to help Rock Island, to help bring business to Rock Island, to help uh, you know build those bridges between the city and the arsenal and things of that nature. Right. Well, I think you need to have a plan and you need to have your house in order, you know, before you go out and start looking at those state and federal opportunities. Um, realistically, I, I don't see the state of Illinois providing any more than kind of minimal help, and um, you know they've got a lot got a lot on their plate. You right. know, both exactly. both uh, and you know for Rock Island, both Senator Anderson and you know Representative Elect Mike Halpin. You know they've got they've got a lot on their plate right. from a state standpoint. Frankly, the state doesn't have a ton of resources to be. Right. To be kicking our way. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to slight Mike. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> Neil and Sherry are the first to. Yeah, I had to give him a little, give him a little name check there. Mike's friend, so, um, you know, so you know, you look at those and it. Um, you know, but you, you, there are programs where they fit, right? I mean, there's state brownfield grants. You look at the old uh, country market site on 24th Street, and one of the challenges against development there has always been, oh, it's going to be so so costly to uh, redevelop that site because it's got all this remediation that needs to happen. Well, there's state EPA brown, brownfield grants that are there, and those are there regardless. They're funded by the federal EPA, and it's still a revolving loan fund that's sitting there. So... You know, those are the kind of opportunities that um, that you can't take advantage of, right? Right. And then, um, you know, anything with the arsenal is really going to be working with, uh, you know, Sherry's office on the on the sure. federal side, and you know, Senator Durbin. Um, you know, but that requires the whole delegation to get involved. You know, there there is a real scare. I don't think people still to this day. Um, fully appreciate how close the arsenal was to closing, you know, 15 years ago when they were doing the original round of BRAC closures and what that would have meant for this area. You know, I mean, it's the largest employer in aggregate. You know, them and John Deere kind of go back and forth, and I think they're probably back on top. But um, So it's strengthening what we have there. 
and then uh, making sure we work with them because if the further the tendrils of that tend to get out into the community the harder it is to move those things and uh, we still haven't done as good a job as places like Huntsville, Alabama or Picatinny, New Jersey on um, integrating into the arsenal. We've done a better job of you know, really having some strong community support of the arsenal. There's no question about that. Um, I know that they really feel back and forth. We have more uniformed military on the arsenal than we've had since the Civil War. Um, that was part of the last kind of realignment is that brought more of those folks there. And I, I know that they feel really welcome and like being here. This is a this is a plum station, you know, so that's an important thing. But at the same time, we've got to make it so that it's very difficult on a business side for them to pluck that arsenal out of here and move it and i think on the city level those are some things we can we can help with um another thing again this is something i did not ask the other candidates but it's something that came up and it's i know it's something that's on my mind and other people's mind and so i feel compelled to ask it so um you are the only candidate that i'm asking this question to in the interest of fairness i'm divulging that um you bring up difficult businesses. You bring up difficult business circumstances. And that kind of plays into the problem of the downtown is you've got some privately owned businesses and those private business owners uh, may or may not be, depending on who you talk to, be using those businesses as tax write-offs. And it's uh, I have heard a quote from somebody who allegedly heard this from one of those business owners saying, I make more money by not putting anything in there than I do by putting you in there. Um, I've known people who've wanted to open businesses in downtown Rock Island who have said to me that they were kind of turned away or that was made to be difficult because the people who own them make more money by leaving them vacant. Obviously, that's counterproductive to the way the city rolls. What do you do about that? Private property ownership is a, is a you know kind of fundamental right, right right that we build our country on. Right. So, but at the same time, I think you talk to those business owners and you try to bring them into the process. They're not many you know. I'm one of the people that own several businesses downtown is a Rock Island resident. So I think you try to appeal to some of that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's going to be about what's good good for their checkbook. But um, yeah, I think you try to look for opportunities where you can have win-wins, where they can still um, win, and it might not be that they get it on the tax write-off, that they're going to get it in another way. Maybe they have another business that's going to um, prosper more by having a, a, a full downtown. You know, Maybe uh, their property taxes all go down because we have... Um, you know, thriving tax receipts coming into the city. So you try to offset some of those, but, you know, it, it, it's not an easy solution. But at the same time, I think uh, you got to have those conversations, just take them on. You know, whether it's, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think you get anywhere by bullying. I think that's one of the things the city found out on Jumers Crossing, you know, is to say, you know, well, hell, we're going to go try and, uh, we're going to just seize the land too bad you know we'll do what we want and we don't care um ironically i had talked with um thomas thomas and with um jeff eater when they were going down that route um one of the other areas i worked on when i was working in congress was um 
flood protection. So I spent a lot of time, you know, we had terrible floods in uh, 97, 98, when, or excuse me, 2007, 2008, when I was in, uh, when I was working there. And I learned, frankly, more about flood law than I ever cared to. <laughs> and one of the things that they went through um, post-Katrina was they went through and redid all the flood risk maps. And um, it became, one, the other thing that happened as a result of that is the levy sponsors have ultimate say into what happens there. Excuse me. And, um, you know, so attacking them head on without trying to build a relationship and try to find a win-win was a mistake. And and I think doing that with the property owners downtown is, is a mistake. I don't think you try to shame them or publicly attack them or seize their property or anything like well, that. Well, you can't do that, obviously. Right, right. I mean, you could try to make the case that, you know, we've got to have... You know, whatever. But I think that's a tough. That's a tough go. I think you try to work with them and find win-win opportunities for um, developing those properties. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, the there is only so much you can do, and I, I know that. You know, but that I know that's a concern. That's a lot, something that a lot of people talk about. So obviously, it's something that the mayor needs to. Yeah, yeah, it's a real concern. Um, kind of like the, the next question I have. The next two questions I have, and, and again, I have asked the other candidates this, and and I understand that being the mayor, you only have so much impact in regard to either of these questions, um, to be fair, but I have to ask them anyway, because they are both uh, issues of concern. Uh, The first one being... Um, how can the city, how can the mayor have more of an impact on local schools? And again, I understand that local schools, a lot of it's handled by the school board, by the state, et cetera, et cetera. So the mayor has limited impact in regard to that. But what can the mayor do to make the schools better, um, particularly in regard to behavioral issues and things of that nature? Boy, behavioral issues is real tough. I mean, because that really is a school issue. Um, you know, I know that they have... Um, community policing partnerships where they have city police in a number of the schools and those work well. Um, I happen to know if the fellow who's doing that at several of the schools now, uh, somebody I went to school with all through and you just couldn't have a better person for that sort of thing to try and build some relationships early between um, our citizens and the police and I think that's so important. Um, so from that aspect it's tough but I think I think it's it truly is a situation where kind of a rising tide lifts all boats in terms of a city and school. Um, the schools have their own things to take care of in terms of curriculum and all that, but where the city comes in is, is having a livable environment, and that goes back and forth. You know, I, look, I really look at, there's four main areas I want to focus on, Sean, on kind of sub-areas of uh, finances, quality of life, infrastructure, and... Um, economic development for the city and you know schools impact you know all of those areas impact schools either directly or indirectly right I mean quality of life is uh, you know parks walkability um, areas you want to live you know infrastructure do we have safe sidewalks for the kids to walk to school I mean I live in a neighborhood that's over kind of behind uh, uh, Blackhawk Bank and Aldi there and it's older school older streets that were boulevards and there's just not sidewalks you know (laughs) for the kids to get to school so on a most basic level can a kid walk to school and in my neighborhood it's tough it's dangerous especially now when there's snow pushed up and it's icy and it's difficult and you know it's it's a tough thing and i i understand parents who are 
concerned about that. You know, so at a very base level, there's that. But on the higher level, you know, the better we do as a community, the more financially healthy we are, the more people want to live here, the great, the more we can raise our assessed value of our homes, the better that is for the schools, too. You know, they're going to benefit from increased revenue. They're going to benefit from people wanting to move here. They're going to benefit from student enrollment, all those things. Um, next question kind of tied in with that. And again, it's something that I understand the mayor has, you know, limited amount of impact in regard to this, but can have substantive impact if, you know, in certain circumstances is um, how can you best as mayor uh, assist the poorest and most disadvantaged in our community? You know, and again, that's that's a challenge from a direct standpoint. You know, a lot of those folks are dependent on uh, programs that are really going to be at risk. You know, I think both with the state's financial situation, with the uh, point of view of the governor, and what seems to be the point of view of a new federal administration, um, cutbacks on Social Security, cutbacks on disability, cutbacks on um, food stamps, and some of the kind of basic uh, subsistence, subsistence level safety net assistance that we provide. Um, so can the city pick all that up? No. No, they can't. I mean, that's just that's not realistic. We're not built for it. We don't have the, the ways to do it. But I think one of the ways we do it is um, one of the things on a quality of life standpoint that I've really been uh, pushing is... When, especially when Mark Suber was a mayor, but um, John Phillips and Greg Champagne and that team was in place, we really spent a lot of time growing neighborhood and community groups and listening to them, and they were really part of the governance of the city. And we've gotten away from that, and I, you know, I think it's so important that we re-engage people back in the process because they're going to tell us what are the best ways to do that. Um, I think if you look at the evening meal that's offered out of the Rock Island Township office is, is a you know one safety net item. I think we work with uh, MetroLink and some of the mass transit folks to make sure that people have a way to get to work if they need to. Um, you know, my mom is disabled; she's in a wheelchair, and she we're fortunate that she has the resources to have a van that she can get herself around in. But if her van breaks down, finding the resources to get to work is tough. You know, she's recently retired, but she worked every day. You know, she worked in mental health care, and. Um, you know, those resources made it so she could work. You know, if she if she didn't have a, her own van, getting to work is tough. You know, so I think you try to work on filling those gaps where you can, um, because I think those are the things that matter. You know, can people get to work? Can they um, get home? You know, because that's the difference sometimes between um, being on public assistance and not. You know, it's not that somebody's lazy or they can't get there. It's just how do you get to work? I mean, it's real basic stuff. Do you have? How do you? You know, do you have clothes that you need to do work? Do your work? You know, do you have somebody to take care of your kids while you're at work? You know, um, summer camp programs, times when people are off school. You know, I think those are places where a city can fill in um, that they that um, are helpful and, and impactful and make a difference on you know having somebody be able to have a job or not. Um, last question, actually, and this is a question that I have asked all the candidates, and I know it's kind of a broad question, but it allows you to sort of, you know, expound upon what you're thinking um, is in regard to this, is what is your vision for the city? Uh, what do you most want to accomplish? If you're elected mayor, what would you most want to accomplish, and how do you do that during the time in which you are in office? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. 
I really ran, Sean, because I think there's two large and kind of abstract goals that I think are really important that I want to see happen for the city, and I've alluded to them a little bit as we've talked. I think first, it's uh, we've got to re-engage the community back into government. People have to have a feeling that their voice is heard, that we're listening to them, um, that um, it's not just kind of, uh, I don't know the right word to put on it, but it's not just kind of happy talk that we're going to say, okay, we want to listen to you, and then we're going to go do whatever the hell we want anyway, <laughs> you know, exactly. yeah. uh, you know, so there, that's one piece, and then I think the other piece is transparency, so that people understand, everybody's not going to agree with everything I propose, or everything that the city does, um, and I think there's valid disagreement, but I think if people understand how we got to the decisions that we made, um, at least you could say, I don't agree with it, but I see how you got there. Sure. You know, and I think by any reasonable standard, most people are going to be happy with that. You know, I think one of the the challenges with Walmart and some, you know, so many of the other things that people are unhappy with is they're like, what the heck happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did we, how, how would any rational person do this? You know? And, uh, you know, I've talked with some of the people that were involved in those decision making. And when they talk about it, I, I don't agree with it, but I see how they got there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you, know, you know, you talk to some of the council members and, and things, and they're like, you know, we really wanted to be aggressive and you know take our shot. No. But they should have. But they should have said that. They should have come forth right. and said that instead of letting people make their own minds up. Which is what I always tell people: it's it's so much better to be transparent in regard to things because at least people are making their minds up based upon the truth, right. upon the facts, as opposed to conjecture. So you know, you they may disagree with you, but I think. People People will more respectfully disagree with you or say, well, you know, I agree to disagree, but at least I know where you're coming from, and I'm basing this upon the facts of the matter. Right. Yeah, I still think under any circumstance, not having assigned agreements for that stuff is just unforgivable. I I agree with that, too. You know, that's just unforgivable. But I I see how you got, I see how they got there, Uh you know, and I can understand, you know, if you're sitting in that, if you can be empathetic enough to be sitting in that chair and say, okay, what would I have done if I was there? I don't know that I would have got to the same decision, but I can certainly see how they did. Now, more specifically, you know, I kind of talked a little, alluded to those kind of four areas, you know, so those are real abstract goals, right? Uh And I think you really need to drill down. I mean, we talked about how you support small business, and, you know, I think it's so important that we engage with them. Um, But then, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, I I imagine you heard it from Steve, from Mike, you'll hear it from Terry, everybody, you know, nobody's going to say, I ignore them and I don't care what the heck they do, you know, go out on their own, you know, nobody's going to say that, so, but I think, you know, specifics matter, so how are we going to do that, you know, how are we going to be more transparent, how are we going to engage people more, I think you identify those four areas and then, then within those four areas, we need to identify what are our key metrics, you know, I want stuff that's measurable and tangible, you know, not this kind of, want to make it a more livable community okay how are we going to do that you know we're going to have um x number of sidewalk improvements we're going to do y number y number of things with the parks we're going to grow our um day center services with parks in the king center by whatever percent we're going to repave you know on an infrastructure standpoint we're going to repave you know, I understand they've broken the streets out into kind of three tiers. You know, we're gonna we're gonna improve. You know, 20 miles of tier two streets, you know, 10 miles of tier three because it's so expensive, and tier one's fine. We'll just let that go. Um, we're 
you know, we're going to stay within budget in these areas. We're going to, what are the specific tangible things we're going to do? You know, and I, I don't necessarily know all those answers for that, but I think it's when you engage those groups and you challenge your professional staff and and uh, you, you challenge your colleagues on the council, you know, they're all going to have things that are important to their areas. But you come up with those, and once we agree on those, and we agree what the metrics are, you know, we literally have like a dashboard or a scoreboard on our website that talks about, you know, so, you know, if anybody wants to know how we're doing on any of those areas, they can literally find it on their phone. You know, not, not buried in a PDF report, not buried in, you know, uh, you know, 500-page transportation plan that we've worked with on Bi-State, and those things are important, by the way. That's how you get to there. But, um... You know, you've got to be super transparent in how we do that, and that's one of the ways that I propose to do that is, you know, you got to be specific, have these broad goals, specific ways to get us there. Awesome. Andy, thank you so much. We are now down to about 40 seconds here, so we're just under the 40-minute mark. Again, uh, Andy Rowe, uh, running for Rock Island Mayor, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me and to talk not only to me, but to anyone listening to this, who are all the voters? in Rock Island who are going to be potentially your constituents. So thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Sean. I was worried about filling our 40 minutes. <laughs> I could probably go another 40, so thanks. Thank you. Yeah.